Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the man who lost his horses. An American friend called me on the phone the other day. The situation in Ukraine worries him a great deal, as do other difficulties that we face globally. Which reminded me of, and of course I shared with him, that proverb universally known in the Chinese-speaking world. Sai wong shi ma, yan zhi fei fu. A man loses his horses, and yet, who is to say whether it is benefit or bane? Though it has undergone permutations through centuries of retelling, the fable that the proverb refers to originates in Huainanzi, a book completed by 139 BC during the Han Dynasty, in the chapter called Renjian Xun or Aphorisms for Life in the Mortal Realm. The original story, as I translate it, goes like this: There is a man who lives near the fortress, meaning the Great Wall, so the frontier, who has knowledge of fortune telling. One day, his horses run away into the land of the Huns. People come to give their condolences, but the man says, "Who is to say it's not good fortune?" A few months later, his horses return with a great many tall and strong Hunnish horses. People come to congratulate him, but the man says, "Who is to say it's not bad fortune?" As his household is now wealthy. With good horses, his son comes to love riding. One day, the son falls from a horse and breaks his thigh. People come to give their condolences. The father says, "Who's to say it's not good fortune?" A year later, the Huns launch a massive invasion across the border. All able-bodied young men who live near the fortress have to pick up a bow. And join the army. Out of every ten men, nine die. But his son is exempt because he is a cripple. Father and son both survive the war. Thus, you see that in good luck lies disaster, and disaster transmutes into good luck. The mysteries of fate are beyond human comprehension. Frankly, most of us, when using the proverb in daily speech, don't remember the full context of the original story and its layers and complexity. The important thing about the the new horses is not that that they are feral, but that they come from the land of the Huns. Ancient Chinese horses were short and stocky, of the breed now called Przewalski's horse. Horses from Inner Asia were much bigger, taller, stronger, providing the Huns who rode them with a distinct military advantage over the Chinese. For this reason, Central Asian horses were an extremely valuable commodity in ancient China.
Indeed, it is important to this story that the man lives near the frontier. It is why he comes into possession of foreign horses, and it is why his neighbors are the first called upon to fight. And the liminal setting hints ever so tantalizingly at a possible distant foreign origin for one of the Chinese language's best-known proverbs. Also interesting is the fact that Huainanzi was written by committee. Hardly anything good is ever written by committee. The U.S. Constitution, I have seen and argued, is a possible exception. Huainanzi, it seems, is another. Prince Huainan, a grandson of the emperor, entertained many scholars in his palace. As a group, he and his intellectual friends wrote Huainanzi, gathering together all of their thoughts on politics, philosophy, science, and many other topics. And on major points, the book usually adopts Taoist principles. We can say then that the tale of the rancher and his horses is a Taoist fable, and we can understand the story in different contexts. Also, interestingly, I find that in each context there is often an instance in which the tale is quoted or misquoted. One context in which to read the story is in psychology. The Russian-American science writer Maria Konnikova published a book a couple of years ago about poker and the psychology of decision making in the face of uncertainty, called the biggest bluff. In the book's final pages, underscoring. The inescapable nature of chance or variance. Konakova quotes a version of this tale, mistakenly ascribing it to Buddhism. In the realm of the philosophy of ethics, I may point out that the tale underscores the problem of utilitarianism. Utilitarianism, the philosophy espoused by the likes of Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Postulates that the ethical action at any given moment is that which will lead to the greatest good for the greatest number. As Huainanzi illustrated two thousand years before Bentham and Mill, however, it is impossible to engage in such a moral calculus. The greatest good for the greatest number. At what point? In the realm of Religion. The story from Huainanzi has always seemed to me to resonate with the Book of Job from the Bible. You know the story. Job, or Eof in Aramaic, is a righteous man, and for his goodness, God has rewarded him with a loving family, as well as substantial wealth. But then Satan, Hebrew for adversary or accuser. As the prelapsarian archangel comes to God and suggests that Job is only good because God has given him a comfortable life. So God and Satan agree on a divine wager: 
Let Satan take away all of Job's blessings, and they'll see whether this righteous man still worships God. Degree by degree, Satan torments the good man. He destroys his property. He kills his children. He gives him loathsome diseases. After each misfortune, Job's neighbors come to him to suggest that Job must have done something wrong to deserve divine punishment. But again and again, Job remains faithful to God. Until finally, he cannot take it any more, and he cries out against the Lord. Why should a good man suffer such terrible misfortunes? Out of the whirlwind, God answers with a majestic non-answer, or in fact, a series of unanswerable questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or shown the dawn its place. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? And so on. The ancient Hebrew story is similar in structure and content to the fable of Huanzi. Each. Is about a man with property, who is visited by misfortune, and repeatedly has to deal with friends or neighbors who arrive like a chorus to comment on said misfortune. And, in a way, it is similar in message. The Book of Job illustrates, as the tale from Huanzi does, how human minds cannot truly comprehend. The big picture of what is good, and what is bad. In Job, this incomprehension is due to the mortal mind's inability to understand divine purpose. In Huanzi, the incomprehension is due to the mortal mind's inability to calculate infinitely multiplying possibilities of events indefinitely into the future. But to bring it back to my friend who called, he was worried about matters of war and peace in Ukraine. So let's circle back to the realm of international politics and foreign policy. In that context, the 2007 film Charlie Wilson's War also quoted a version of this tale, and also wrongly ascribed it to Buddhism. In connection with America's involvement in Afghanistan,、and、the point of the story in this context is the impossibility, truly, to calculate the long-term consequences of our policies. When the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, could they foresee that the Americans would intervene by supporting the Mujahideen? When the Americans supported the Mujahideen in the 1980s, could they foresee that many of these people would become the Taliban, and that Al Qaeda would attack New York and Washington D.C. on September 11th, 2001? When the Americans went back into Afghanistan after 
could they foresee that 20 years later, they would beat an ignominious retreat from Kabul as it fell right back into Taliban control? Similarly, when Gorbachev pursued Glasnost and Perestroika in the USSR, could he foresee the breakup of the Soviet Union and Ukrainian independence? When the USSR broke up and Ukraine became independent, could George H.W. Bush foresee that Putin would rise to power? When Putin rose to power, could any one of us foresee that two decades later he would launch a pointless war against the once fraternal nation of Ukraine. And now, can any of us foresee what will happen next, whether in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, in Russia, or in America? The answer, if we are honest and humble, is clearly no, not really. Who is to say that an apparent disaster today isn't a blessing in disguise? Who is to say that an apparent victory today won't plant the seeds for a greater disaster to come? Like the rancher near the Great Wall, all we can do is to say, well, we'll see. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.